uh, may share the spirit of a joke I'm about to tell you. My cousin told me that this week. It was in a country church, and uh, there was a, a man sitting on the end of an aisle about like this, listening to the preachers. A preacher droned on, and he, he was going to sleep. In fact, he was asleep, and he felt that wouldn't be a very good impression. So he was trying to be kindly. He took his cane, and he reached over, and he poked the guy in the ribs. And he was asleep, and he fell out into the aisle. He fell out the aisle. <laughs> fell out into the aisle. He woke up and said, what's the matter? He's still talking. That <laughs> may be after 32 years what some of you are thinking. He's still talking, going on and on. But here I am. All right. Great to see you all. Uh, I expected more of you to be gone. Since this is spring break, I assume that means you either don't have kids or due to COVID, you don't have a COVID, you don't have any money. <laughs> There's a good chance it's, it's the latter. You don't have any money. Well, whatever the reason, we're glad that you are here. Now, I'm going to uh, read some scripture a, a little more than I normally do. I normally read the scriptures, mix them with the message, and I'll be doing some of that. But I want to set the stage. We are in what are technically called the passion narratives of the time of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've kind of broken them up piece by piece, and we have uh, quite a, a narrative before. So let me read it from Matthew 27 uh, through 50, Matthew 27, 45 through 53. And then you might stick your uh, finger in Psalm 22, written 1,000 years before Jesus ever appeared. Jesus, you recall from last Sunday's message, most of you would recall from memory, uh, he is on the cross. Now from the sixth hour, darkness, that's funny, the lights come on, I'm talking about darkness. <laughs> now from the sixth hour, Roman time, that would have been noon. It fell upon all the land until the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m. About the ninth hour, these things converge. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Elah, Elah, leme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who were standing there when they heard it they didn't hear it quite right, but it was an easy mistake to make. They said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, probably a sympathetic person, probably a soldier. Taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine. It was a cheap wine for soldiers. He put it on a reed, stuck it up to him and gave him a drink. But some of the rest of them still in the mocking mode said, oh, whoa, 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 let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again in a loud voice. And John says, he adds in here that uh, he said, all of a sudden I lost my mind. We'll get back. It is finished. I got a great point to make. I got somebody else to make it. But I got a great point to make right there. It is finished. 
and he yielded up his spirit. That's quite a statement. And behold, I bet you've often wondered about this. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. Oh my, earthquake. A lot of them in Israel. And the rocks were split. Wow. And the tomb, whoa, what is this? And the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints, Old Testament saints, who had fallen asleep, a euphemism for dying, were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, don't miss that, they entered the holy city, the holy city Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Stop right there. Now, I want you to go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. This will not be up there. It's curious. I made a mistake once. (laughs) You got it. Uh, You go up here and uh, our uh, technology... It didn't have Philippians. <laughs> I double-checked it. They double-checked it. We looked at it. We made sure the spelling was right. That's always a place to start. But it was right. So I don't have it to flip up there for you. So we'll read it together, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, talking about Jesus. I've always loved this passage. And being found in appearance as a man, a human being, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, what we're talking about, even death on a cross. There's death, and then there's a horrifying death. Shameful, like being drowned in a commode. That's the way the Romans meant it. Therefore, Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. As a result of all this, he went through. That at the name of Jesus, this is going to happen. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You better believe it. That's going to happen. And if you don't know him, you will bow. Everybody will bow. But if you don't know him, you won't be standing there. You'll be eating the dust. Now go with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is called a Messianic Psalm. There are a lot of those. It means that it was a Psalm that had features that predicted the Messiah, the greater son of David. 1,000 years before. Did you hear me? 1,000 years before this was written. I'm just going to be selective here. Look at the first words. My God, my God, David wrote this. But the Spirit of God is lifting David above himself. And he's, David is speaking, David is writing in his own consciousness, but there's more to it than that. It's his son speaking. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Go over here to verses 6 and 7. But I am a worm, not a man. The reproach of men. 
and despised by the people. All who see me, we've just seen that, haven't we? All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lips. They wag the head, saying, commit thyself to the Lord. Yeah, trust in God. Yeah, let God deliver it. We've seen that, haven't we? Happened just like that at the cross 1,000 years later. Let him, let God rescue him because God delights in him. Oh, yeah, he does. Then go down to verse 16. All of this is the Messiah. For dogs have surrounded me. David was familiar with that, but this is a whole nother level. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Now get this. 1,000 years before, they pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. Wow. Go to verse 18. This happened at the cross, the soldiers at the foot of the cross. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's exactly what happened at the foot of the cross. Psalm 22. Now let's go back and expound our passage. Before our Lord voluntarily in heaven entered the world in the form of a true man, a true man, he set aside temporarily any aspect of his deity. It's called a kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. He set aside any aspect of his deity. Now understand my statement carefully that might shield him during the, the challenges and the testings of this life from its privations and pains. There were no cheat notes. There's a tendency, and I mentioned it last week, when we go through these passion narratives and we look at them and we think, something kind of unreal about that, not false, but just well, I couldn't do that, she couldn't do that, he couldn't do that. Of course not. But to think, there must have been something in this supernatural mix, some kind of, I call it divine anesthesia. There were sort of cheat notes and helped Jesus get through this stuff. Because I don't know anybody had gone through all that. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Not yelling, not screaming, in pain, nothing. Well, not so. Just not so. Jesus never invoked the deity side of his dual nature to shield him from any pain, any humiliation, uh, to buffer him from all of that stuff that we can't imagine. Yeah, he was God in the flesh. There's a real danger in everything I say. There's there's error lurk, lurking there. <clears throat> but he, it's as if he turned it off in all of his suffering and went through it just like you and I went through it. The only thing he didn't have was a sin nature. 
Otherwise, it was just like you and me. I can't get my mind around it. But he did it. We cannot calculate the level of pain that he suffered because of who he was. And I'm going to point out to you where his greatest suffering was. To lay aside his divine majesty, to take on himself incognito, as it were, his deity, to be treated by his own like pure trash, like a piece of flotsam and jetsam, hung naked between two mocking criminals, two for a while, one that repented, as we're told, treated like a piece of toilet waste. Who is this? The Son of God. Well, that is suffering that I, and I'm sure you, we can't even begin to comprehend. But he did all that for you and me and every person you've ever met. Not one of us ever came close to deserving that sacrifice. And seeing the horrific human insults to the very Son of God, think about that. Can anyone think that his Father in heaven will hesitate one millisecond from consigning to everlasting perdition any and all who to this day contempt continue by their rejection of Christ to trample in his blood and defame his name and refuse to bow before him? Nope. Yet another thought. But before that consignment, our Father in heaven will see to it that every human knee, both departed and living, will stand before Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He will see that every single one, my mother, your mother, our father, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, everyone that's blitzed through this life ignoring him, or flat out rejecting him, will bow in terror and everlasting shame before him and confess, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're King of kings and you're Lord of glory. Oh, my God. Then they will be sentenced to everlasting darkness. Somebody says, I don't believe in hell, but as that movie I told you about a while back, hell believes in you if you wind up doing that and do not repent. Well, from the sixth hour, I told you noon, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Suddenly, somebody said, how did that happen? Why do we think we always have to figure out, and, and a lot of ink has been spilt over this, figure out some natural explanation for everything that happens like all the plagues in Egypt. Now God can use those things. But no. When the clock hit 12, God apparently just caused a shroud of darkness to fall over the land of Israel. Just envelop it 
in a thick darkness, just like in Egypt. Wow. Folks, when God wants to send a message, he knows how to make it loud and a message that should be clear. And all the people that were mocking Jesus, insulting him, they should have learned something. And there's a tendency for us to look at that kind of thing and say, well, you know, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe that's just false. No, I'll tell you something, and you see it all through the Bible. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see it in the Old Testament. If we have the idea that once unbelievers get the bad news from heaven, that all of a sudden they fall on their knees and say, Oh, God, we've got it wrong. It can happen. It has happened, but it doesn't usually happen. What happens is that they get harder and harder. And we see it in the book of Revelation. You see all these plagues breaking out so that men and women are almost gnawing their teeth in pain, but they rail at God. They do not repent. And here, there were some who were affected. I'll get to that. But, uh, well... It didn't do what you might have thought it would have done. You might have said, oh, my, oh, we were wrong. This is a cosmic statement. This is a divine answer to what we're doing. Nope. It just showed how far gone they were. It's a warning. It's a symbol. It's a... Kind of like a wordless book. It says God is saying all this and he is not happy. It's a signal, an insignia of divine indignation. Look at our world today. Look at all the darkness. Well, it's, it's not literal darkness. It's moral darkness. But are people getting it? I'm afraid not. Not most. They just get harder and they get harder like the frog in the tea kettle. This darkness from noon until 3 p.m. set in effect what you have just done you will have to answer for. There's hell to pay, literally, for this wickedness. God is saying by that darkness, heaven is witness. You cannot do what you've just done without paying a dear price. And in 70 AD, as I pointed out to you many times, the bills started coming due. And what happened to Jerusalem and Judea was an absolute historical horror. Let no one today who still rejects Jesus stand aloof. And think, how? that's their business. I didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, yeah. Remember what I quoted from Dr. Criswell last week? Yeah. Who did that? I did it. 
You did it. They did it. You preached last week, David. Week before last. Like I say, I've been here 32 years. <laughs> Starts to feel like more 62. <laughs> anyway, the uh, we all did it. The whole human race is accountable. They were indifferent as the Lord of glory in the flesh was monstrously savage, assailed, insulted, and mocked. God knows how to make a statement when he elects to speak. And here he did it in sign language that no sensitive heart could fail to discern. Some never got it. Others, as we shall see, apparently did. About the ninth hour, 3 p.m., before the darkness lifted. This is significant. Jesus cried out. We tend to read this. Jesus said from the cross, no, get every word. Think of all of the horrific suffering that he had been through. He never cried out. He never complained. He never said, ouch. How, I don't know. His entrails were probably, as usual, visible from the backside up against that cruel bark. Head bleeding from that crown of thorns, you remember. Man, I don't know. But if that had been me on the cross, I would probably have said, if I could say anything, Eli, Eli, if I could even do that. And I don't expect I'm the only wimp in the room. But what did he do? He cried out with a loud voice. Elah, Elah, Leme Sabachthani. How did he manage that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That pinpoints the ultimate pain of his suffering. As horrific as it was physically, it was not the physical agony and savagery that most tormented him. It was not the accumulated humiliation of the insults hurled at him by onlookers at the foot of and around the cross and passers-by. I really have trouble getting my mind around this, and you will too. All of a sudden, in a moment of time, in a space of time, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, whose communion and fellowship with His Father in heaven 
was absolutely perfect and uncompromised at any point. Felt something that we can't imagine. He felt in a space of time, space of time, five seconds, five minutes, I don't know. But all of a sudden there was a sense as he was on that cross to be an atoning sacrifice for your sin, as he was on that cross to be the substitute for you and me bearing his sin. There he was. All of a sudden there was a the horror of complete abandonment by the Father in heaven. That was an aloneness that none of us have ever felt. No matter how messed up we are, we live in a world that has at least some fragrance of the grace of God, the flowers, the grass, the rain, the sunshine, and all of that. All of a sudden, he was on this earth And as far as the way he felt was concerned, there was no God. There was no fallback position. There was nobody. There was nothing. He was forsaken. My God, my God, Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? That's the humanity of Jesus. I don't know how long that lasted. We know how long the darkness lasted. Three hours. We don't know how long that lasted. But it was awful. Because at that moment there on the cross, he became a curse for us. It was as if all of the sin of all humanity was put in a great big bag and heaped upon his shoulder, and he, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He was Jesus Christ, but he was sin, and he was struck by the judgment of God, by divine condemnation, as the Father, in a space of time, withdrew, and let him have it, so that he might justly be our sin bearers. Wow. I said I can't get my head around it. But whatever it was, he did it for our sake. And had he not submitted to it, you and I would be ridiculous sitting here. (laughs) This would be more stupid than I can imagine. We could not have been redeemed. Our sins, our trespasses, and all of our native iniquity could never have been discharged in the levers of heaven. Somebody said, well, stop, Pastor. Stop right there. I've explained this before, but you know I really don't understand that. God is God, right? Sovereign God can do anything he wants, right? And if God in heaven says, okay, okay, I'm, I'm tired of all this, look... I've just decided I don't care how bad you are. I don't care how mixed up you are, your head, your heart, everything else. I want to forgive you, okay? I am a gracious God. I am a merciful God. I I just, let's not go through all this razzmatazz. I want to forgive you, okay? I'm okay. You're okay. They're okay. You're okay. That's that. Let's be done with it. 
let's not have all this repentance and faith and followed up by profession, faith, and baptism. Like, let's, let's not do this. Let's make this simple. I'm God. Why can that not happen? That's a question that needs to be answered. Why can that not happen? Because by the very definition of the divine character, he is holy and just. Did you hear that word just? If God were just to say, okay, you're all a mess. Pastor too. He's a bigger mess. And I'm a good God. I love you all. Let's just all go home and be happy you're forgiven. Well, right there, God would compromise, which God cannot do what is essential to his divine character, one of his essential attributes, and that is that God is just. He cannot dismiss my sin and still remain a just God. In that case, he would be an imperfect God, and he'd be just like us. No, Sin has got to be justly dismissed. So that means that before that sin can be dismissed, before it can be pardoned, either I have to pay for it. The wages of sin is what? Death. Because God is just. So either I have to suffer the wages of sin in myself, which will mean eternal condemnation, Or somebody who is of infinite worth, who's that? The Son of God. Somebody who is totally innocent must bear that pain, that sacrifice. He must be the atoning sacrifice. Somebody has to bear it. It's just like you're in jail. I go to the thing, the court will let me do it. Say, I don't want them to suffer this punishment I'll take their punishment for them. Let them out, you go in. That's what Jesus did. Wow. So there on that cross, he did that that day. Well, verse 48 said he cried out with a loud voice. Though he was on the cusp of physically dying, it was with a loud, strong, robust voice, not the cry of a weakened soul about to surrender to the power of death greater than he could withstand. It was not the cry of one conquered, but it was the cry of one who conquered death itself. It was the voice of death's master, not death's slave, he cried out. And upon that robust cry from the cross, one of them immediately ran, taking a sponge. He filled it with sour wine, a bitter cheap wine that soldiers typically consume. So as one of the squadron of soldiers, crucifying soldiers, 
probably by this time getting what the Jews did not get. Uh, Something is happening here. They kind of knew all the stuff that surrounded him. All the talk. They heard all the talk of the Jews, but they're probably saying, I don't know about you. This, this guy's different. And then they hear that strong voice. That's supernatural. I'm guessing they were thinking. And one of them probably in concert with the centurion. We learned he had said, but not in Matthew's account, I thirst. Give him a a dip of that sour wine. And somebody else said, no, 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 leave it alone. Don't mess with this. Let's see if Elijah, there was a story, a myth, a legend that Elijah would come and help his suffering people. No biblical authority for that. They were curious. Having misunderstood his loud cry, they just wanted everybody to stand back, let the whole event play out and see if Elijah might intervene. And suddenly in verse 50, we have the climax of the crucifixion. In another loud voice, the content of which is not recorded except one thing. Loud voice. Loud cry. It was not a dying whimper of an exhausted victim giving in to death. It was the voice of a victor. The voice of triumph. The voice of a master in control. He yielded up his spirit. I want us to go to John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. I think they'll put this up there, but in any case, I'll have it right here. Yeah, here we go. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it again. Get this. That's what's happening right here. No one has taken it from me. What? His life. Well, the Romans are doing it right there. What are you talking about? They're crucifying him. No, Jesus says, I lay it down on my own initiative. This life of mine, you're not taking it, Romans. Jews, you're not taking it. No. I'm laying it down of my own sovereign volition. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I receive from my Father. Yep. Right there, he gave up his life. Right there. They didn't take his life. You know how long it took people who were crucified to die? It varied. They'd leave him up there for days in agony. You remember Pilate, one of the narratives says, was shocked. We'll read that later when Joseph Arimathea came to seek the body. Is the guy dead yet? They checked and he was. No. There came a point 
when he said, it's done. It is finished. I've told you about my pastor in Dallas, mentioned him last week. One of the greatest. I will never forget this. You're going to hear it. I think. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is God's great redemptive plan through the centuries and the generations. This is the great consummation toward which all time and history did move. And when Jesus died on the cross, he bowed his head and said, It is finished. And the drops of blood that fell at the foot of the cross whispered to the grass, It is finished. And the grass whispered to the herbs, It is finished. And the herbs whispered to the trees, it is finished. And the trees whispered to the birds in the branches, it is finished. And the birds in the branches spiraling upward whispered to the clouds, it is finished. And the clouds whispered to the stars, it is finished. And the stars whispered to the angels in glory, it is finished. And the angels of glory went up and down the golden streets of heaven and rejoiced, saying, It is finished. God's great redemptive plan for our salvation. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see why I didn't try to imitate that? <laughs> okay, I've done it before, but it was rich. <laughs> it is finished. And if you don't know him, you need to be finished with your rejection. Because heaven will not overlook that. Let his son go through all of that. Say, so, okay. You're a nice person. I forgive you anyway. Not going to happen. When that happens simultaneously... All of a sudden, God spoke again in sign language. Matthew is the only one who records this. Matthew was there. Mark wasn't, as far as we know. Luke wasn't. But all of a sudden, over on the Temple Mount, there was this gray curtain dividing the holy place from the most holy place, signifying, as Hebrews said, that the way to God was not yet made manifest, but right here it was. And all of a sudden, the curtain was just split right down the middle by an invisible hand. 
And then, simultaneously, there was a rumble. You ever been in an earthquake? Sure, some of you have. I have. Things begin to <laughs> rattle and roll. Sounds like 18 wheelers are everywhere. And things move. Chandeliers, they shake, and then things begin to topple. Wow, this darkness. Well, everybody didn't know yet what had happened in the temple. Word would get around, the grapevine would get around, and then great rocks were split, not pebbles. Wow. And then out in the graveyards, tombs were opened. This is not explained where, who, what. We're just told that in the sequence of events between there and Jesus' resurrection, some Old Testament saints, their bodies were raised. We think this means, the tech means, right after Jesus was raised, this happened. You can be sure the words that would go through Jerusalem would be frightening. Jesus was the first fruits. And then some Old Testament saints, according to God's promise, were raised up. What happened to them after the resurrection? We don't know. We're not told. But what happened, Matthew tells us this much. Well, you would have thought as a word circulated through Jerusalem, there would be repentance all over the place, wouldn't you think? There wasn't. There was cover up in every kind of thing. Don't let this get out. We learned that. The hardness of men's hearts. Don't let your heart be one of those. I speak to those online. Don't try to bluff your way through it. I've known so many who say, well, look, I'm a good person, Bill's a good person, Mary's a good person, they're all right, and if God is just, it's going to all be okay. Don't you think that? If God is just, every one of us would go to hell in a split second. Because he is gracious and merciful, this happened. He's there. He came into the world to be our Lord and Savior. God will not overlook anyone on planet Earth who rejects his son. Well, somebody says, now stop here in just a but everybody's not had a chance to hear him. Are you kidding? This world is full of the light and the presence of God. And if you can't see God, in all that's around you. You can't see God in a little squirrel. You can't see God in a little flower. If 
You can't see God in the ocean, can't see God in the trees, can't see God in all the wonders of the human. If you can't see God, you just can't see. God doesn't have to give anybody any more light when we reject the light we have. But if we, re- if we receive it, he'll give us more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to be our substitute, to become a curse for us in order that we might not have to bear it ourselves. We pray that your spirit would take this message, which is in Matthew, and apply it to each and every heart. For those of us who know you, fill our hearts with thanksgiving and oppression and a gratitude. And for those who don't, fill them with repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.